When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Today on the Everything 80s Podcast, it's Hulk Hogan's Rock and Wrestling. And what you gonna do when Hulkamania and the largest arms in the world run wild on you? Hey guys, what's happening? Welcome back to the Everything 80s Podcast. I'm Jamie. Thanks for coming on out today. And we're looking at not just the cartoon of Hulk Hogan's rock and wrestling, but the rise of the WWF in the 80s and specifically Hulk Hogan and Hulkamania and how this all ties together. In case if this is all new to you, Hulk Hogan's rock and wrestling was a Saturday morning cartoon produced by Dick Animation that featured popular WWF characters such as Hulk Hogan, Roddy Piper. It aired on CBS and ran from September 1985 to October 1986 with two seasons and 26 episodes. So we'll look into all this. Before we start, though, if you haven't already, subscribe wherever you find your podcasts. I should be there. Okay, let's get into this. So even though this is a short-lived cartoon, it's still remembered fondly during this glorious era of Saturday morning cartoons. Hulk Hogan's rock and wrestling was a way to capitalize on the growing popularity of the then-WWF, and even more so with Hulk Hogan and Hulkamania. There may have been some big errors in professional wrestling, including the WWE Attitude Era and the Monday Night Wars between WWE and WCW. Some say, though, nothing can touch the popularity of pro wrestling in the mid-80s, and what was once a small regional territory niche interest became mainstream and one of the hottest things going. The WWE and Titan Industries that controlled it probably thought they had reached their pinnacle at this point in the 80s. Like They had no idea where this thing was going to go. But probably to them, they thought they must you know, have to strike while the iron is hot, and they put out as much content as possible. And this included a uh, Saturday morning cartoon. So what brought the WWF into the mainstream? So this topic, I mean, pro wrestling in general is a whole podcast of itself, and there's hundreds out there. So here's the basics or the quick rundown of what brought the WWF from small regional territory and into a household name. So in the 70s, North America was basically divided up into 30 or so wrestling territories, such as ones like Mid-South Wrestling or Stampede Wrestling here in Canada with the Hart family. And then there was the Worldwide Wrestling Federation or WWWF out of the New York area run by Vince McMahon Sr. His son, Vincent Kennedy McMahon, eventually took over his father's promotion and changed the name to the World Wrestling Federation. In those days, wrestlers acted like independent freelancers, and they would go from territory to territory, taking on the local heroes, and this allowed for them to not wear out their welcome and gain more national exposure. One notable of this time who was one of the main proponents of all this was Andre the Giant. He would act like an attraction in every territory he went. Since he didn't remain based in one, it was a big deal when he would show up in an 
another area as it, it would only be for a short time and you might not even see him again for another year. There was no national cable syndication. There's no internet. There was no way to see these people unless they physically showed up in your town. Another guy that would do this was Terry Bollea, who went by various names as Terry Boulder and Sterling Gold. He had a different look than other wrestlers with his golden blonde hair, giant physique, and tan skin, and he caught the eye of Vince McMahon Jr. McMahon knew he had something special with Bollea and brought him on board while also picking up some well-established characters from other territories. He knew he had a better product than the other small territories, and he wanted to take all of them on by going national. He started to secure TV rights and the very early process of distributing his program, which infuriated the other territory owners. This was just seen as blasphemy. You do not encroach on the other territories, but it worked. McMahon had taken the now named Hulk Hogan and shaped him to become a massive attraction and he was now getting mainstream attention. And this leads us to the rock and wrestling connection. And if you grew up in the 80s or if you were older in the early 80s, you probably remember this very well. A new upstart television network called MTV had come out in the early 80s and was now becoming a pop phenomenon. It was changing the way we consumed music. It had launched new artists like Madonna, and it was now part of the public consciousness. And I have a whole episode on the history of MTV you should go back and check out. It's a good one. McMahon saw this new evolution in music as the perfect way to showcase his wrestling product, and the mix of rock and wrestling appeared to be the perfect marriage of music, action, and entertainment. Crossover work started to be, be done, most notably involving Cindy Lauper. Her video for Girls Just Wanna Had Fun featured WWF manager Captain Lou Albano, and Lauper would be an asset in giving the WWF more exposure and uh, let them appear in front of a whole new audience. This would also lead to some other cross-promotional events, most notably the Brawl to End It All, which took place on July 23rd, 1984. This was a WWF event that was broadcast live on MTV, and the theme of the event was taken from the fictional storyline of the Girls Just Want to Have Fun music video. In the video, Captain Lou is an overly protective figure, and the story continues into quote-unquote real life, where his sexism annoyed Lopper to to no end. The focus on the event would have WWF women's wrestler Wendy Richter represent Lopper, who would take on the fabulous Moolah, who was managed by Captain Lou. The event would also feature other WWF wrestlers exposing them to an audience that had never seen them before. But only the final match was going to be broadcast on MTV. But the whole thing worked. The brawl to end it all was a massive hit and scored a 9.0 rating, making it the most watched show in MTV history. So now they got to keep this momentum going. And Vince McMahon is like the modern day P.T. Barnum of Barnum and Bailey's circus. And he's a master promoter and marketer. Thanks to the success of the brawl to end it all, another event was developed called the War to Settle the Score. The whole WWF MTV connection was now officially called the Rock and Wrestling Connection. And the War to Settle the Score would carry the momentum of the first event. This time, Captain Lou and Lopper had reconciled. And during an event, they were both attacked by Rowdy Roddy Piper who would be thwarted by the newly growing stalwart of the WWF, Hulk Hogan. This would lead to Hogan facing Piper for the WWF Championship at the live event that took place at Madison Square Garden on February 18, 1985. The card featured many other matches, but Hogan versus Piper would be the one that aired live on MTV, and the whole country got their first real look at Hulk Hogan. 
Hogan would win by disqualification as the match was interfered with by Cowboy Bob Orton and Paul Mr. Wonderful Orndorff. If you're a WWF fan, you can see where this is going. Sitting at ringside and who would help Hogan at the end of the match was TV celebrity Mr. T. This would set up and lead to the biggest event in pro wrestling history, WrestleMania 1. Built on the back of the war to settle the score, WrestleMania 1 was the most ambitious event in pro wrestling history. It would combine wrestling, music, and celebrities in a giant culmination held in Madison Square Garden on March 31st, 1985. The focus of the event would involve Mr. T and Hulk Hogan taking on Orton and Orndorff. This was the biggest gamble of Vince McMahon's career, and he threw everything he had into it, including an apparent second mortgage on his home that his wife was not aware of. It would also take advantage of a new technology called closed-circuit television, which means that people would watch the event live in a theater in their own city. It's like it's funny to look back on this, but this was revolutionary at the time. And me personally, I would have given my life to go. But not only was I a bit too young, but closed circuit was crazy expensive. And if you're uh, under 30, you probably have to ask your parents what closed circuit is. Basically, man invented fire, the wheel, and then closed circuit. That's how old that is. So WrestleMania 1 featured celebrities such as Muhammad Ali, Liberace, and of course, Cindy Lauper. This was basically throwing all your eggs into one basket, and it worked big time. The event was seen as a huge success, and around a million people watched it on closed circuit around the country. The event also propelled Hulk Hogan to even loftier heights. So how are they going to capitalize on this increase in popularity that he and the WWF had found themselves in? So this, you know, means heading to Saturday morning cartoons. Not surprisingly, with an industry built on larger-than-life superheroes, the made audience for Hulk Hogan and the WWF were kids like me. This is when wrestling was still real to all of us, and we treated it almost like sports. This is years before the steroid scandal would hit. That You might have to look that one up if you're not familiar with it. But Hulk Hogan was this real superstar, and it was blurring this line between what was sports entertainment and what was sports. And the fact he appeared on the cover of Sports Illustrated, and I remember this at the time. I don't know if you do, if you're a wrestling fan. Newspapers would actually print results of wrestling shows in the sports section like it was an actual event. Hulkamania was running wild, and the name Hulkamania was given by recently uh, just passed away WWF announcer Howard Finkel, noting it was like Beatlemania. Uh, so, you know, Hulkamania now is, and also that's why they named it WrestleMania because of Beatlemania. So, Hulkamania is going crazy all over the country. Children are encouraged to say their prayers and take their vitamins, which I continue to do to this day. The WWF decided to keep this kids-friendly approach by putting together a cartoon show that would air on Saturday mornings, also known as the Holy Grail of kids programming. It would be called Hulk Hogan's Rock and Wrestling, which would connect to the Rock and Wrestling connection that had boosted their popularity in conjunction with MTV. The show would be produced by Dick Animation, which brought us shows like Inspector Gadget, among other things. The premise of the show would take the very basic approach that wrestlers had of good guys versus bad guys and would feature Hulk Hogan leading the good guys against a group of rogue wrestlers led by Rowdy Roddy Piper. And if you know your wrestling, good guys are known as baby faces or faces and bad guys are known as heels. 
this allowed the show to follow, you know, like that basic cartoon trope as well of good versus bad. And, you know, then putting both groups into wacky situations, which result in the good guys always coming out on top. So here's a basic breakdown of this whole cartoon show. Besides cartoons, the show would feature live action segments, and they also kept trying to plug things like, I hope you remember this, the WWF album, which is a very real thing. And they would showcase clips of songs like called the song Land of a Thousand Dances, which I kind of loved at the time. Also, the iconic Pile Driver. Just go on YouTube and look up Pile Driver or the WWF album. It's, it's hilarious. It's just, it was their whole attempt, though, to get on board with music videos, which were driving the success of MTV. Since WWF wrestlers spent around 300 days of the year on the road, they weren't available to provide the voices for the characters and professional voice actors were brought in. But here was the one major problem facing Hulk Hogan's rock and wrestling. And again, this is going to be, here's another quick uh, wrestling 101 with that idea of faces and heels. So again, Good guys are known as baby faces, bad guys are heels. From time to time, a good guy could turn heel while a bad guy could turn face. And this is how they would keep storylines going. The plan with Hulk Hogan's Rock and Wrestling was that the cartoon would try to follow the storylines that were happening in the real life WWF. The problem was the production time for each episode took so long, they had no way of staying up to date, which was causing some crossover issues. The biggest example of this is how Rowdy Roddy Piper was the main bad guy and when the show debuted in the WWF, it ended up turning face, good guy. Same thing for Andre the Giant, who's one of the main good guys in the cartoon and in real life when it started, but he would end up turning heel not long after. But, you know, again, whatever, we were pretty dumb kids, so we didn't really notice. Okay, so here's the release of Hulk Hogan's Rock and Wrestling. The show debuted on September 14, 1985, just about six months after WrestleMania, which is a pretty quick turnaround at the time, but again, was still right in the mix of all things Hulkamania. It would run until October 18, 1986, and would be made up of two seasons and 26 episodes. Some notable voice actors that were featured in the show included comedian Brad Garrett from Everyone Loves Raymond, who voiced Hulk Hogan and did a good job at it too, I would say. Ron Gans, the voice of Ear. Eeyore on Winnie the Pooh, voiced Nikolai Volkov, and James Avery, who is, of course, Uncle Phil from The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air and Shredder from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, voiced the Junkyard Dog. Here's a breakdown of the characters on the show. So the good guys featured Hulk Hogan, Junkyard Dog, Captain Lou, Jimmy Superfly Snuka, Andre the Giant, Wendy Richter, Hillbilly Jim, and Tito Santana. The bad guys featured Rowdy Roddy Piper, the Iron Sheik, Nikolai Volkov, Bobby the Brain Heenan, the Fabulous Moolah, Big John Studd, and Mr. Fuji. And again, if you know wrestling, more than half of these people have passed away. I think actually almost two-thirds of them. How did this show go over? So it was safe to say that this show was a fairly big hit as the WWF was starting to hit its stride and Hulkamania was absolutely massive. It's also notable the success was hard to come by in the cartoon world as we're entering now into the golden age of kids' cartoons in 1985-86. So to last for two seasons and 26 episodes was nothing to sneeze at, especially when you're going up against Transformers, G.I. Joe, My Little Pony, everything like that. The Mr. T, the Mr. T cartoon show put out the year before seemed to be a good way to test the waters and his serial as well too was a huge hit 
Some critics were not on board with Hulk Hogan's rock and wrestling, but wrestling in general was still looked at as sort of dismissively, you know, kind of inferior and, and just like a, a lowbrow form of entertainment. An article from the Orlando Sentinel from April 24th, 1985, talks about the upcoming Saturday morning cartoon releases coming from CBS and basically craps all over Hulk Hogan's rock and wrestling. It was thought that basing a show on Hulk Hogan was ridiculous as, quote, surely they could have found somebody a little more heroic around whom to construct a cartoon series, unquote. They clearly didn't see the massive impact that Hulk Hogan, Hulkamania, and the WWF uh, would have on an entire generation of kids. It also wasn't a failure, as mentioned, as it lasted two seasons amidst, you know, all that competition. And coming out at the same time, on the same uh, weekend, when Hulk Hogan's Rock and Wrestling debuted, I didn't realize this until I looked back and researched. So all at once coming out was... Hulk Hogan's Rock and Wrestling, The Wuzzles, The Gummy Bears, The Berenstain Bears, The Punky Brewster Cartoon, and The Ewoks and Droids Adventure Hour against all the other competition out there. So again, is the golden age of cartoons. So here's some, again, you know, I refer to the WWF trying to get into the music video and music business, basically. So again, if you're familiar with Hulk Hogan, you know that his song Real American is that, you know, iconic theme song uh, that was written for him by Rick Derringer. Before that, he would come to the ring to Eye of the Tiger because wrestlers back then never came to the ring with theme songs or anything like that. He was one of the first to do it. And again, that angered a lot of people, again, like the purists and traditionalists. So for a short while, Eye of the Tiger was used uh, for the... the the theme for Hulk Hogan's rock and wrestling, but the, the, they then came up with what was called Hulk Hogan's theme and was written by Jim Steinman. He's produced music like Batter the Hell, Total Eclipse of the Heart, and for artists like Barry Manilow and Celine Dion, so who better to make music for Hulk Hogan? Hulk Hogan's theme definitely has a bit of that rocky vibe to it, and but did its job pretty well. Steinman would later rework this theme into a song for Bonnie Tyler called Ravishing that was in no way related to Rick Rude, again, if you know your wrestling. So we'll start winding it down here. And... You know, looking back on this cartoon, like I like I'm right in the wheelhouse for all this stuff because I just adore wrestling and Hulk Hogan and the cartoon show and everything like that. But it like it wasn't amazingly good, but but good. You know what I mean? Enough that you maybe wanted to actually watch the real live wrestling instead, but maybe that was the whole intent. Again, it didn't really matter because a lot of the cartoons we grew up on are not that amazing when you look back on them. In this case, it didn't really matter how epic it was because it was just about getting the content out there in the height of Hulkamania. And it was good enough at the time to get our attention. And for me personally, I, I, I wanted to watch anything to do with WWF and Hulk Hogan. So Hulk Hogan's Rock and Wrestling exists as a semi-successful short-lived cartoon that actually had the premise to be really good. Again, with things that are popular, it's just about getting something out there and hoping it sticks. The 80s was just this explosion of pop culture. 
you didn't know what was going to work. You sort of threw everything at the wall and hoped something did stick. And if it did, you were good. You barely had time to breathe with all the competition going on out there. It exists somewhere in that, if you remember the cartoon show Pro Stars that featured Michael Jordan and Bo Jackson and Wayne Gretzky, sort of in that range of cartoons where production companies were you know, just throwing whatever they could during this onslaught of products and new intellectual properties and cartoons that had flooded the market. I feel like there was barely time, you know, to do market research as there was a short window to try to ride this wave of possible merchandising that was flooding the market. It was just sort of like the wild west of creation and toy production and everything like that. Unlike shows like G.I. Joe or Transformers that were created only with the intention of selling toys. Hulk Hogan's Rock and Wrestling was a little different in that it seemed to exist just as an offshoot of the live WWF product. They, of course, had toys and merchandising, but the cartoons seemed to exist as its own entity and also, again, ultimately bring attention to the live product. This made uh, it a little more unique, but regardless of its ultimate intent, it worked for me. Maybe it worked for you, again, if you're listening to this episode and sort of reliving it, it it probably strikes a bit of a chord with you, or you know, you might be hearing this all for the first time. But I'll finish it up here. I appreciate you taking the time to listen to this episode. I know there's a ton of podcasts out there, so the fact you're listening to this one means a lot. I'll be back very soon with a new episode, so don't you dare miss it. Bye.